Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Because we're celebrating. By golly, there's a lot of things to celebrate. Let's start in chapter 9, verse 20. We're going to finish up this book, by the way, so if you've been here for every sermon... By the end of today, you will have officially read an entire book of the Bible. If you've never done that before, congratulations, today's the day. Here we go. It says, Mordecai recorded these events, and he sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar. As the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy, and their mourning into a day of celebration, he wrote them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy, and giving presents of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the purr, that is the lot, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back onto his own head and that he he and his sons should be impaled on poles. Therefore, these days, called Purim, from the word pur, because of everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took it on themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, and in every province, and in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. So Queen Esther, daughter of Abihail, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter concerning Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in the 127 provinces of Xerxes' kingdom, words of goodwill and assurance, to establish these days of Purim at their designated times, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther had decreed for them, and as they had established for themselves and their descendants in regard of their times of fasting and lamentation. Esther's decree confirmed these regulations about Purim, and it was written down in the records. King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores, and all his acts of power and might together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews, because he worked for the good of his people and spoke up for the welfare 
of all the Jews. Praise the Lord. All right, at this time, they must have moved something. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. Oh, it's all good. In fact, you dropped your pick. I'll get that for you. Kiddos, if you want to scoot, you are in. Wow, man, that did not take long, huh? Lewis, he was ready. He was ready. But yeah, fifth grade and under, if you want to you skedaddle, you're more than welcome to it. Boy, you got a crew. <laughs> yeah. How about that? It's good stuff. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna get to talking about feasting. Another feast. Yeah, feasting is good stuff. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the blessing of being in community with other believers, the blessing of your word and what it has to offer us, and the victory that we have through you. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, Purim, it's pretty good stuff. It is a celebration commemorating everything that happened in the book of Esther. We heard the story, and it was like summarized for us again at the end there, just to remind everybody what the point of the feast was. And then it jumps into celebrating. When I was looking for videos, I wasn't originally going to put up that ridiculous one of the guy eating the continental breakfast at the hotel. I went looking for ones that, you know, talked about Purim, about the ways that they celebrate it nowadays, about some of the Jewish traditions and things, but they were all too long, or they were boring, or they were weird, or they were like snagged from a news broadcast, and they were more focused on pastries than it was about the actual event. There's this famous little cookie, shaped like a triangle, and it's named after Haman. Some people say it's his hat, some people say it's his ear. It's really an excuse to eat cookies. Um, Yeah. And that's mostly what I ended up learning about by watching YouTube, trying to find something. And so then I thought, well, the celebration of Purim, it's broken down into two parts. That's what we're going to focus on today is these two parts. It focuses on fasting, and then it focuses on feasting, which are opposites, right? Feasting is when you sit down and you've got a whole spread, a big old smorgasbord, and you're just ready to go to town. You know, Thanksgiving, that's a feast, man. That's when you go back for thirds and then you have pie afterwards. That's a feast. Yeah, fasting, on the other hand, that is when you don't eat. And you're focused on prayer, and it's a little more somber. So I want to pick apart those two different things. So Purim, any idea what that means? I'll give you a hint. It was mentioned... In the scripture. Hmm? Yeah, the casting of the purr. So, uh, it's mentioned in Esther 3.7 that Haman, when he was trying to pick out when he was going to go after the Jews, he cast the purr right there. And that's another way of saying lots. 
Uh, I don't remember if that's the Persian word for it. Um, but when they cast lots, it was kind of like rolling dice. They would often make decisions, and the Jewish kind of theology behind it was since God is in control of everything, he would control how the dice would outcome. If you guys remember the story of Jonah, when the sailors were trying to figure out who was bringing this big old curse on them, that's what they did. They cast lots, and it ended up falling on Jonah. When the 12 tribes of Israel figured out who was going to live where in the promised land, they cast lots. So the idea was that God was going to control the outcome. Now, Haman did not believe in God. He probably thought that it was just some fake deity thing out there, or maybe he just did it because his relatives told him to and it would make his mother-in-law happy. I don't know. But he decided to cast the purr, and instead of his results coming true, instead of what he was banking on happening, instead of the destruction of the Jews, the Jews were saved, Mordecai was given power, Esther was preserved, and the king told her that she could have up to half the kingdom, and then the last time she asked for something, he didn't even give a stipulation. He just said, whatever you want. You can have it. So the tables were turned on Mordecai. And so when they named this celebration, they named it to kind of poke fun at Haman. They named it after his sort of the, the fall of his pride. He cast these lots to try and destroy the Jews, to go after them. But instead... It turned back on him. And the day where he thought he was going to have triumph and power, God's people had triumph and power. So it's named after the casting of those lots. And it starts with fasting. The way that they celebrate it is they start with fasting on the first day, and then on the second day, it's feasting. And I did some looking into things, and they also wear costumes and stuff nowadays to celebrate it. We'll get into that into the feast part a little bit. But fasting, why do we fast? Why do we fast? Any ideas? To take us out of regular routine. Glenn, I couldn't hear you over Ken. Yeah, actually, that's a pretty common thing. And we'll get into that in a minute, intermittent fasting. Well, here we see that Esther fasted, right? That was in chapter 4, back a few days. She said she wasn't going to eat or drink for three whole days, night or day. And she commissioned the other Jews to follow along in that. But we fast for different reasons nowadays. Sometimes it's to get out of the routine. Some people, they do intermittent fasting as a weight loss plan. You know, whether that's they only eat two meals a day or, you know, they skip 24 hours of eating and then they get back into eating, you know, and they try to eat more healthy things. But in a biblical sense, fasting, the idea is to make us more reliant on God. When we get those hunger pangs, instead of heading to the fridge for a snack, when we're fasting, the idea is when we get those hunger pangs, or when our tummy does a little rumble, we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to take that time 
and lean on God's strength instead of the strength of calories, instead of the strength that we get from our own hands and our own hard work that we then pour into grocery stores. It's to accompany prayer. There's got to be a purpose behind things that we do, especially in a spiritual nature. And in the traditions of Purim, they fast to remember how Esther fasted. She did it for three days and three nights, 72 hours. I don't know if any of you have ever fasted for that long. I think I might have once in college, like my undergrad. And that was, that was pretty tough. Day one, you kind of muster through. It's okay. You might get a little bit shaky. You definitely get hungry, right? Day two, I think day two is probably the hardest day, though, because it's been over 24 hours since you've eaten. You woke up in the morning, you're kind of tired, and you're, you're hankering for breakfast at that point. You feel it, like, deep down. You're like, oh, man. And day three... It gets a little bit easier, but it's still pretty tough. I mean, that's three days without eating. They say if you go much more than two or three weeks, that's it. You're dead. So you don't want to go very far into fasting. And some people can't even go that far because they might have health concerns. So I'm not saying you should go out and you should fast for three days just to try it and see what it's like. That might be a very unhealthy thing for you personally. But if you have any major decisions to make, if something is going down in your family and you're really concerned, I want to encourage you to consider fasting in addition to praying. Because the more that you fast, when you feel that hunger, that's an opportunity to pull you closer to the Lord. Instead of having a half-hour lunch break at work, that is now a half-hour prayer break. Imagine what God could do in your life if you spent a half-hour a day more than you do on a regular basis, focused on prayer and reading Scripture. Now, again, I'm not saying that that needs to be an everyday thing and that you should stop eating lunch, but it's something to consider, especially when you have a big circumstance in your life pop up. Let it drive you to prayer. So I want, to, I want to challenge you guys to think this morning. I've got two reflection questions. When was the last time, if you've ever done it, that you fasted to pray about something? And if you haven't ever done it, I, again, want to encourage you to think about it. I'm not saying that you have to. Uh, especially if you have something like diabetes where you really have to monitor your blood sugar and things like that. Uh, I don't want to send anybody to the hospital. But I do want to encourage people to spend more time praying. It's so easy, especially for myself, I know, to try and come up with earthly solutions. I don't know how many men relate to this, but I have found in my relationship with Kimberly, when she presents me with a problem, my default gut response is to present a solution immediately. The way that I process it is there's a problem, so we should fix the problem. 
and maybe find the root cause to the problem and solve the root cause to the problem, and then we won't have that problem happen again. Yeah. <laughs> Mark said, yeah, right. Well, that's where, that's where my brain goes. And Kimberly, when she presents a problem to me, she views it more as, this is me telling you how I feel to help kind of clear the air a little bit and to make me feel better. And I'm not asking for solutions, I'm asking for support. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So for me, it's so easy when I see a problem in my life, instead of being driven to prayer, to analyze the problem and think, okay, here's what the problem is, here's how I need to solve it, boom, 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 step one, two, three, and rely on the strength of Brentley. You know who's way stronger than Brentley? Kenny, probably, yeah. <laughs> but also, also, the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth. He can do way more than I can. He built the universe in six days and only needed a nap on day seven. Wow, that's true. Yeah, he didn't even need to actually do it. He just said it. That's impressive. So I want to encourage you guys, when you are faced with issues in life, to be driven to prayer and fasting if you feel spiritually compelled to do so and your health allows it. Again, I'm not trying to send people to the hospital because they skipped meals. Bad plan. You know where you're at with that, um, but I just want to reiterate. So next, after all that fasting, after all of that prayer, after all of that time spent in intentional focusing on the Lord and letting Him provide solutions, then they feast. The second part of the Purim is feasting. Woo! It's good stuff. I had a few, I had a few boys from the youth group over at my house this last weekend. Uh, and we stayed up until 2.30 in the morning playing video games and eating pizza. And we had a little feast of our own. We had pizza and Funyuns and Fritos and ice cream. and It was awesome. I am so glad that I am now on acid reflux medication. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. And then we got up early in the morning, and we picked up the donuts, and we boogied on over to the Howard Eaton Reservoir, and we went fishing. And then I ate more junk food, because donuts for breakfast after a day like that, right? Just what I needed. Well, Clara had to go get the creamer. So I made, I made coffee, and I kind of forgot that other people don't drink black coffee. Um, yeah, I know. Uh, and so Clara was generous enough to make a, a quick Dollar General run for people who, you know, like to taint their coffee with creamer. <laughs> anyway, feasting is a way to do what? What do we do when we feast? We rejoice, we celebrate, we spend time with those that we love and care about who are in our circle. It's a way to bring people together. There's this big, huge table, right? All kinds of food on it. That's what a feast is. We feast to celebrate. We celebrate big occasions. I mean, what are times when you think of feasting? 
A wedding. Exactly. That was one of the first things that came into my mind as well. Yeah, Steve's 70th. That was a bit of a feast at Steve's place. A funeral. Thanksgiving. Yeah. Christmas. Yeah. Easter. It's to celebrate. But I think, I think sometimes it's good to celebrate some of the smaller occasions as well. Kenny mentioned funerals, and I think that that brings up an element that we kind of only think about at funerals. If you're at a funeral, you leave the funeral, it's kind of a somber occasion, and the close family and friends, they typically go out and have a big lunch or dinner together. And you kind of think to yourself, whether it's at the viewing or whether it's at the lunch afterwards, man, we don't spend enough time together. Oof. It is like closing, yeah. It can be a celebration of life, for sure, and I'm not discounting that by any means. But oftentimes, when you get together, you say things like, I wish we spent more time together, whether it's with that individual who had just passed on, or whether it's with the family members who are still with you. I want to encourage you to celebrate more, to spend time focused on the things that God does in your life. Because a celebration, a feast doesn't have to look like some big crazy spread. Dan just announced that we have a mission trip coming up. And you're going to see in your newsletter, when slash if you get a newsletter, and if you're not signed up for our monthly newsletter, uh, you can put that on your Connect card. Yeah. I'm pretty sure there's a slot for it, and it says I'd prefer to receive it by, and you can put an email or your address. Uh, but on that, on the front page this next month for August, it's going to say that we are going to have a spaghetti dinner as a fundraiser for the people going on the mission trip. That, in my mind, is a sort of feast just here at Greenfield. And when people get baptized, what do we do? We have a big picnic, right? We make a party out of it because that's a huge occasion to celebrate. Someone has allowed their life to be transformed by Christ, and so we all rally together and we celebrate. Now, this is not a picture I took. This is one I found online. But on Father's Day, I took my family and my siblings out, and we went to the hibachi on 12th Street. Now, if you've never been to one of these places, it's, it's quite a little spectacle. They bring out a chef, and he's usually got a pretty strong accent, and he really plays things up. He cooks the meal right in front of you, and he'll throw shrimp at you, and he'll make all kinds of jokes. And they light things on fire right in front of your face. It's crazy, but it's a good time. And you don't leave hungry. They fill up your plate with all kinds of good stuff. But I started doing that on Mother's and Father's Day. I started taking out my family to restaurants. Because now that I have a big boy job and I'm out of the house, I wanted to be able to show my parents how thankful I am for all of the time and energy and love that they poured into me 
as a kid. And, you know, I can't, I can't afford all kinds of things, but, you know, I can afford to take them out to dinner a, a few times a year, you know? And to me, at least, that was a little bit of a feast for our family to celebrate being together and what the Lord was doing in our lives. And we actually got to talk to a couple who they heard that I was a pastor at a church and the lady was kind of saying, oh, you know, I used to live in Erie. I moved out of town, kind of looking for a church right now. She was of a little bit more of a Catholic background, but she was plugged in a little bit to my parents' church because of her job. She worked at L'Arche, which is a religious-based special needs living community here in Erie. And they occasionally take their people to different churches, but not every church is super accommodating because some of these people can be loud and disruptive in the middle of the service. But our church, well, our church, my parents' church, was quite welcoming of those people, even if they'd be kind of loud and groan and make little different noises we wanted them to feel welcome. And she remembered that about my parents' church when it came into conversation. And that was a cool moment. And we wouldn't have had that moment if we weren't out celebrating and being together. Now, I know that going out to restaurants can be kind of expensive, right? So, yeah, especially nowadays in this economy. So, I want to encourage you and challenge you in that regard. You know what's free? A park. And if you don't have a blanket, I got all kinds of blankets. If you don't have paper plates, I will go to Walmart and I will buy you paper plates. You can afford a little picnic in the park with your family. I know you can. And I want to encourage you to celebrate something. It doesn't have to be a big celebration. It doesn't have to be fancy. But I want to encourage you to go out to spend time with your family and to celebrate what the Lord is doing in your life. God brings us all through different things. And we don't have to celebrate just the big things. It doesn't just have to be graduations, weddings, and funerals. God has delivered us from all kinds of things. And the Purim is about celebrating how God delivered all of his people from this big bad man. Mr. Heyman. But I want you to be able to celebrate some of the smaller things in life. Because at the end of the day, God has given us so many blessings. And celebration is something we see all throughout the Old Testament. Whether it's David dancing down the streets in his skivvies, or whether it's the Purim, or whether it's the Passover. God wants us to be in community with one another and celebrating. So I want to encourage you guys to celebrate when God does something good in your life. So I want you to think about when the last time you celebrated something with your family or your close relatives was, and if it hasn't been recent, Maybe it's time to break out the old picnic blanket. God is moving each and every day in our lives.
And we should take that as an occasion to celebrate. I kept talking last week about victory in Jesus. And we just sang that this morning right before the sermon. And that was on purpose. We have the opportunity to celebrate the victories that we have in Jesus. He has given us so much. And whether it's victory over the big things or over the little things, I want to encourage you to celebrate. Like the widow with the lost coins. You guys know that parable? You guys ever lost a coin in the couch cushion or in your car? Right? You go back and you're vacuuming your car out because it's been too long and you're getting all the crumbs out and you find a quarter underneath one of the seats. Now, that might not be a big deal, especially with the way inflation's going now, right? But this woman, she didn't have much. And she was, she was missing one coin. And she cleaned out her whole house looking for this coin, finally found it, and was rejoicing. She went and told her neighbors she was so excited about it. Heaven is like that when one person accepts Jesus as their Savior. That's why we're like that when one person or three people or however many get baptized. That's why we're so excited about it. That is a, that is a permanent, eternal decision. But even the smaller things in life are worth celebrating. The hairs on your head are counted. You are important to the Lord. And I want to encourage you to celebrate the things he does in your life each and every day. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the blessings you give us. We thank you for the fact that you hear our prayers. We thank you for the example that we see in the book of Esther. Showing the power of prayer, the way that you deliver your people and protect us, and the encouragement to celebrate when you deliver on your promises. Because Lord, you always deliver on your promises. I pray that you help us to continue to seek you and to celebrate what you do in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.